On today's show, the stage is set for the playoffs as the Hawks take on the Boston Celtics beginning on Saturday in a seven-game series. And after some preview content already with Tyler Jones and John Corrales, I am joined on today's show by Glenn Willis at Peachtree Hoops and ATL 129. Glenn dives in to the series in depth with me, matchups, adjustments, what's going to be key for the Hawks and the Celtics in this game, and much more. All that on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1452 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday, and today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. And I'm joined on today's episode by an old friend. He was just here, it feels like, a few days ago. Glenn Willis is back. Welcome back, Glenn. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, in some ways, it feels like it was yesterday. In some ways, it feels like it was like two weeks ago. Agreed. A lot has happened in a short period of time. The Hawks, as we record this podcast, the game was only two days ago. That that seems unbelievable to me as well. So I've done three podcasts since then. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like actually four if you count the one I did with you. I, I jumped on yeah. with you guys after the game on Tuesday uh, at 8 29. That's, uh, by the way, you can you should be listening to Glenn's work along with Kevin Chenard at 8 29. Um, you know, our task today is pretty simple. The series begins against Boston on Saturday afternoon. We're going to mostly preview things on this show. We'll talk about some other stuff, I'm sure, because Glenn and I are capable of talking about anything, basically. But uh, it's a pretty interesting series. I'm just going to say this at the top, um, and it's been a theme throughout, and I'm not trying to paint this negative picture. uh, But, you know, most people, if not everybody, is going to pick Boston in the series. The Celtics are massive favorites at FanDuel. Our friends over there, they're actually like minus 1,200 or something crazy, 90% translations, et cetera. There's some more optimistic pictures. I said this on my show with John Corrales that I am definitely higher on the Hawks' chances than most seem to be in this series. That's not that doesn't mean that big of a win. But um, Glenn, just to start this thing off, how are you feeling about this series, broadly speaking? Then we'll sort of get deeper from there. But uh, how, how's it going in your head when it comes to the Hawks' chances here? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that the Hawks are a little more of a sneaky threat than most people realize. I, and it's been interesting. I think the reason it feels like that game was forever ago was because none of us knew what we would be focusing on right now. Is it a True. game on Friday, you know, or, or are they through, you know, and things like that. So we've had our chance to kind of turn all the way to like, Oh, wow. A series, a whole series is coming up. They don't have to play for their lives on Friday night. And as I've reflected some on the heat series last year, I mean, obviously the heat were just dominant in that series. Hawks were bad. Trey struggled. But the thing that I think that maybe didn't stick or we forgot was how injured the Hawks were coming into that series and the fact that they played a Wednesday, Friday heading into that series. And early and so they Sunday were, game that day, too. Game early, early Sunday, Sunday. game. <laughs> so they were on empty before it ever started. So this year, they're basically healthy across the board. I know DeAndre's probably – I mean, no one is fully healthy this time of year. DeAndre's probably still working through the knee, and JC's, you know, seems – like he's always kind of getting banged up here and there. But from the standpoint of being at the end of the regular season, I think as much health as you could ask for, everyone's available. Um, and they've you know had a pretty normal rest period here entering in. And, and I think that that really makes a difference in the type of threat they could present uh, to the Celtics. So obviously I think anyone who is – um, just being really objective about it. it has to say, you know, mathematically, statistically, all this stuff, the Celtics are likely to win this series. Uh, I was checking 538 before we jumped on here and some other things too. And, you know, 85 to 90% uh, range for the Celtics is kind of seems to be, but I, I feel like it's more of a, I don't know, you know, two thirds for the Celtics, one third for the Hawks, something in that range. I, I don't know. I don't know if I put quite the Celtics 70% because I think the Hawks are, are really good uh, when they have all of their um, players and they're uh, recent, decently rested. And, and so I think that, you know, I think they're going to win two games. If you had to ask me, Glenn, like how many games are the Hawks to win? Like the most likely outcome is two. That makes, that means could they steal a third? 
and then that's when the, the series might get you know interesting. But I, I think the Hawks are a little bit more um, game for the Celtics than the consensus, even though the Celtics are awesome and uh, and are, are understandably the consensus is is that they're going to win the series. They are the favorite. They're the it's fair to call them a favorite. It's um, it would be uh, less than objective to say anything other than the Celtics are the favorite, but I do think the Hawks are a little bit underrated coming into the series. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll come back to this at the very end, I'm sure. I, I do some work at Sportsline, which is the CBS, uh, you know, modeling fantasy gambling vehicle, and I had to actually write a, a preview of the series, and it was a, it's a it's a gambling focused preview, but I had to give a pick of some sort, and it, it, it was just a series pick. It was like a one, it was like a pick something that you could bet on kind of thing, and I gave out Hawks plus two and a half games, which basically means they win at least two games, and it was plus money, but I think that's. So we're, we're probably in pretty close lockstep there. And for what it's worth, that simulation is a little bit higher on the Hawks. I mean, this seems funny, but they give the Hawks a 20.3% chance of winning, which is higher than 538. And all those, uh, that's one of the higher ones I've seen. Um, but yeah, not to be, we're not trying to be downer at the top of the podcast. It's just wanted to set the stage with like kind of the broad thoughts. And uh, now we'll get into uh, kind of what's going on w- under the hood here. Because look, I mean, it's important. I'm glad you pointed it out that the Hawks, just to know that the Hawks are healthy because of what you said last year. And also, I've pointed out throughout the season that injuries weren't really a valid excuse for this year's flaws for the Hawks. Like they were pretty healthy. Like they were not fully healthy all the time, but they didn't have major injuries. They had some untimely stuff. Guys were a little bit less than hundred percent, but it wasn't like Trey missed half a year or wasn't like Clint was gone forever. Like if you look at the normal injury curve, the Hawks were better than usual. So you couldn't really pin the 41 and 41 on that, but it really helps when you are entering a playoff series when you know who your nine are. They're all healthy. And with, you know, I don't want to get over my skis. I think everyone agrees, even people that don't like the Hawks very much, their talent level is higher than a 41 win basketball team. And that's been part of the frustration of this season, to be honest. They're not playing all that. They haven't been playing all that well. And the way that I put it with John Corrales was basically like, there's two ways to view this series. I wonder if you agree with me. One is if you just look at who these teams have been this season on the whole, you understand why Boston's such a huge favorite. They have been that much better than the Hawks this season. But the current version of the Hawks, I think, and I think you probably agree, is better than the Hawks 41 and 41 would suggest. Especially, you know, you don't want to go crazy with the, with the one game sample of the Miami game. They play, they play really well in that game. They have a new coach now who we think is an upgrade on some level. They have a better bench now. After we talked forever, months and months, about how bad the bench was, the bench is not bad anymore. In fact, the bench is good now with Bay and Kongwu and Jalen in this groove. So, like, does that make sense? It feels like that's kind of where the separation is. And you would only know that if you were crazies like you and I, sickos, that are watching every game. But there's a difference between, especially nationally, like, I, I don't blame anybody for not knowing every in and out about the Hawks. And if you just look at the spreadsheet or if you look at just the results and whatever, that's why Boston Cena is that much of a favorite. But if you look at the nuance of what the talent is, like Boston's still better, but like the talent level gap is not that big. I mean, it's just, it's just not. I mean, Tyler said it on the show recently, and I should have said it first, and I'm glad he did. The Hawks were more talented than the Heat were, and they were underdogs in that game, and that made sense. But if you look at the roster, like they had more talent than the Heat did. It's kind of it's not quite the same thing, but it's part of why I think this uh, the gap is smaller. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's I think that's right. For me, the Hawks being forty-one and forty-one. If you had to ask me, then what's the primary reason they didn't win, say, 47, 48 games? They just they just gave away. I mean, that might be too strong. Like five, six, seven games that that, yeah. that they had no business losing across the season, and that's what that's what's you know has them coming in to the play-in. That's what has them entering this as a seventh seed. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not trying to take any shine away from like what a really good season like the Knicks had, but the Hawks are just as good as the Knicks, at least, you know, to me. Um, the Nets are or two or three or four different teams this year. It's so hard to kind of yeah. you know, figure <laughs> the, out how the to. current Nets, like, uh, not, not to go down the path of Kyle Kuzma uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie this week, but the Nets are not quite the same team as they were earlier this season. Yeah. And then, and then from a talent standpoint, I mean, if we're talking about sort of depth, you know, I think they're fairly comparable to the Cavs on some levels, right? On some levels, um, the Cav- the Cavs had a great year, and and I enjoy watching them a ton. Um, but I just think the Hawks are cl- are on par with the Knicks and are maybe closer t- to the Cavs 
than uh, some would think um, for me. Now, you know, there's been so much, so many different threads to this Hawks season. It's hard to kind of start teasing things out. This is not a retrospective of the whole regular season. I know that. We'll we'll have Um, have more time for that later on. We will. But but the reality is, is that I think they played their best basketball game of the season against Miami. You know, I, I think that was their best game of the year. Um, and I, to your point, I think it's critical that their second unit is, and, 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 and it's not unusual for the second unit to kind of have a bigger impact and their, and their stretch on the floor, uh, than the first unit. And that's where you kind of look at the Celtics and you say, you know, the Hawks are deeper, you know, the Celtics have more upper tier talent on their roster. And this group has been together for a while. And, and that helps them a lot. I have a ton of respect for the Celtics and the way that they play, the way they coach and all of that. But there, you can look at, I think we talked about it on the 18 on 29 pod. I think the Hawks are more athletic, have more athleticism, not by a mile, but I just think they have more athleticism. Uh, I think the Celtics have more skill. I think the Celtics execute more consistently at a really, really high level. And so it's going to come down to, can the Hawks raise their game around execution, attention to details, uh, and many, many different phases that it will get into them and things like that. But the Hawks, if they're truly going to make this a competitive series, whatever any of us think a competitive series means, they're going to have to play with more consistency, a higher level of execution, uh, more play harder, more consistently in order to kind of get to a level where maybe they can push the Celtics a little bit in the series. And we'll just we'll have to see if they can do that. Yeah, that's a good way to sort of set it up. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with uh, some more deeper looks at what's going on in this series. So hold on tight and be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Nissan, and Nissan's most electric player of the week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. This week's choice is going to be Clint Capella. The Nissan Aria is brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, solidly powerful. It brings an impressive combination of traits to the table. It is the perfect crossover and we talked about it a lot on Tuesday and Wednesday, but Click Capella was absolutely fantastic in the play-in victory over Miami, headlined by 21 rebounds in 28 minutes. He was awesome on the glass, of course, but also really well off the rim defensively, made life difficult for Miami the entire game, and really reminded everyone of his value and the reality the Hawks have two very good centers. That's a very nice problem, if you want to say that it even is a problem to have at this point in time. The Nissan Aria packs power that will pin you to your seat and then also has premium intelligence all in one EV. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, even for people that love to drive, shop now at NissanUSA.com. Glenn, I'll start here. Uh, how much do you take away or how much do you even care, basically, about the season series? And I give one caveat. The Hawks were 0-3 against the Celtics. The third game was a wash. It was the last game of the regular season. No one played, so I almost crossed that off. Maybe you don't, but I do. Um, how much stock do you put in that? And is, uh, is what, what, what concerns you, what encourages you? I mean, not a lot to encourage, basically, based on those games. But uh, does that, like, change anything for you? Or is it just like a – it's two games, like, who cares kind of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I want to – part of me wants to say it doesn't matter. It has to matter a little bit, right? Because um, these, yeah. these two teams matched up, and there's probably something to take away there. I think, I think the biggest impact of the way the regular season went was the Celtics were good from game one of the season. Like they were you know, hitting their stride right away and they've executed at this high level on both ends of the court the whole season long. The Hawks, you know, were kind of trying to find their stride, you know, trying to find some progress and some momentum in playing with more consistency that didn't really never, never really happened, you know, for them. And so, you know, if this set, if this seven game series or ever how many games it ends up being is a reflection on the fact that the Boston plays at a high level consistently, and the Hawks play up and down. The Hawks have no shot to make this a competitive series. So the takeaway is, to me, is just that the Celtics are at a higher level, you know, and the Hawks have to, you know, do things um, differently to try to get to that level. And so my takeaway is just not so much their head-to-head, but really the Boston season and the Atlanta season. The Boston season, really great team all the way through. Atlanta would occasionally show some indication that maybe they were going to break up into a higher tier of you know a team and then find their way to kind of get back down to the middle again. And so I, for me, I take more away from just the regular Boston regular season, Atlanta regular season than I do from the, the head-to-head matchups. Yeah, and I, I generally agree. And I, I'd be the first to say – and I'd say this, if, if the Hawks had won all three against Boston, I would be the first to say, 
let's not overrate that either. It, it goes both ways. And I think season series, generally speaking, are very overrated. There are things you can take from them if you watch the film. And I know you have, as I saw you tweeting about it today. I watched a little bit of Celtics in the last day or so uh, in preparation for this and everything else. Um, I, I'd say the number one thing that I wanted to ask you about coming out of the series, and it just applies generally beyond that, but the fact that Boston both seemed to generate a three anytime they wanted one, even in, even in the game that didn't matter at the end, it's a similar style. They were bombing away. And in the two games that mattered, Boston made at least 23s in both of them and had at least 32 assists, I think, in both of them. Like, I don't think it's going to be that the entire time, but uh, I'll just put it this way. How, how big of an issue is Boston's three-point shooting going to be? Because if it's anything like those two games, the Hawks are in trouble, which is very obvious to say. But, like, can they stop them from even just attempting? Because, you know, they're going to make them. It, make or miss is a, it's sort of a thing that gets overrated. Three-point defense is an overrated thing, I think, in terms of percentage. What even and Quint said it recently too, like it's stopping them from attempting them. Like, do you see a path for the Hawks to at least contain Boston's three point shooting? Because that was probably the biggest takeaway that I, that you could see in the box score, also on tape from like they were just bombing in both games. Yeah, so volume. I mean, it's it, there's kind of two ways to think about that for me. One is an offensive team generally through spacing and ball movement can kind of dictate their own three-point volume to a degree. Now, on the other side, like, NBA coaches will scream all the time that we have to chase them off the three-point line. We have to chase them off the three-point line. I mean, that's one of the things that that and rebounding are what the NBA coaches typically <laughs> kind of hit on over and over and over. But but for the team that generates excellent spacing and plays with excellent ball movement, for example, at the five, both Al Horford and Robert Williams are way above average passers for the centers, right? The, the ball doesn't stick anywhere with them occasionally Jason Tatum will channel his inner Kobe a little bit and go you know but that's that's mostly gone from his game it'll just show up now and then but their ball movement is excellent so for me what Quinn I think has to do to set his team up to maybe have some impact on volume is through lineup construction so like in the heat series the heat game right we talked a lot about the fact that putting bogey and bay on together was critical for uh, countering what the Heat typically have done against trade defensively. In this game, I think it's almost impossible to put Bogey and Bayon together. The, their their um, limitations in rotating, uh, their limitations in screen navigation. You know, so the Hawks, I'm sorry, the Celtics will run you over a million screens. They use a lot of different versions of multiple screen action. Their favorite one being like Tatum will set a screen near the top of the key and then he'll float away from it and get a flare screen. So they give you this like boom, boom screen action all the time. And if you have a bogey and bay out there together, I don't know how they deal with that, you know, in that sense. So for me, it's like, how do we get, uh, you know, Jalen plus, you know, uh, DeJounte, you know, out there together with Hunter, uh, JC works hard closing out, and this, and and so that's probably the, the lineup that the, the the lineups you have where there's more length and more athleticism. That alone is not enough. Then it comes with communicating, working really hard on closeouts, like busting your rear end, kind of running at their best shoot, at least chasing their best shooters off the three point line. And so that's where I think Quinn has got to almost do a 180 from a lineup construction standpoint from the Heat game to get towards more length, more athleticism, and to a degree potentially sacrifice some shooting and some offensive uh, formula for, for them. And so Quinn's got a tough decision to make. Like, do we try to put our best offensive lineups on the court and match what the number two offense in the league <laughs> can do to us? You know, Or do you line it up and say we're going to put our – uh, biggest and most athletic defenders out there and challenge them to work really hard rotating, really hard fighting over screens. Like he's probably going to have to try some of both of that. I guess it kind of how it goes, but it's going to take effort and specific line of construction in my mind for them to have some impact on volume. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, Boston, like you said, number two options in the league, they're also the best net rating team in the league this year, both, full season, second half, any of those things. And that's part of the playoff, you know, however you want to say, like gauntlet, crucible, whatever word you want to use is like you you can't afford to have these weaknesses on either end of the floor. And that's 
that's the ultimate team building thing. You know, it's one of those like you're because you're right. They're going to have to choose some lineup stuff here. And I tend to agree. I, I have I have a vision in my head of what it's going to look like if they try to play bogey and bay defensively. And it's it's not a pretty one. And then we'll come back to this later on. But there is some concern. And I think maybe probably probably overly concerned about about Clint in this series because he struggled against Boston this year a little bit. Um, even though he was awesome against Miami, but like they don't have a perfect team to deal with Boston's offense and you still have to score. And that's the thing with Boston's that's the thing about playing a team. that's really good. Is that Boston is good on defense too. Like against, against Miami, not to go back to that every single time, but that's a pretty bad offensive team. They had Jimmy Butler on the team, but this year they were not good on offense. Now you're playing a team that has, well, they have like some discernible weaknesses, but in terms of like the two sides, they're awesome on offense. They're awesome on defense. There's not like an area where you're like, okay, at least we we have this. Um, So it's pick your poison on some level. It's lineup construction. Do they trim things? You know, it's a one game sample, but they did have, um, they made some choices in the Miami game. Like the first half, JC got two fouls and then sat for 15 minutes straight. That almost never happens. Would that have happened in the regular season game? I don't think so. Um, Do they lean on Jalen more? Can he? Does he play enough? Does he play well enough for them to lean on him? Because he's still he's still a very young guy. He might have a bad game. Um, do they try AJ in this series? I have no idea. Um, so there's all kinds of those questions. But as far as three point shooting, like, and that's the thing about Boston also is that they can beat you with other things. They're they're also good inside the arc. They're best known for their three point shooting, especially against the, especially against the Hawks. But they're top eight in assists. They're top eight in turnover rate. They're uh, top six in two-point shooting. They're good at the free throw line. They don't create a lot of attempts, but they make them. Um, really, their only weaknesses on offense, at least statistically, is the offensive glass, and they don't get to the line a ton. But their shooting is – they don't have any weaknesses on that end. Um, so, I mean, I guess the thing is, you talked about it a little bit, but, like, game plan-wise, like, what do you try to take away? Is it just as simple as try to run, run them off the line as much as possible and make them beat you somewhere else? Is that is that the number one broad priority for you? Is there something else? So for, for, so for me, there's a connection between what you're trying to do on offense and what you're trying to do on defense. So um, the thing, so Boston typically, I don't have the numbers right for me. I wrote them down the other day, but Boston typically outscores their opponent at three-point line by like 12 points or something like that, maybe 13 points. It's a lot. And they, and, and they give back, I think, 2.7 in the paint. So they're minus 2.7 in the paint. So across the season, you're plus 10, <laughs> taking both factors in roughly. See how you do. Against the Hawks, they were about plus 13 at three-point line. The Hawks were plus six, 16 in the paint on a per-game basis. And and the Hawks are one of the best teams in the league um, creating points in the paint when things are clicking and when everybody is available. So for me, if the Hawks – the mathematical goal is the Hawks have to offset the point differential we expect the Celtics to have the three-point line with an equal or better point differential in the paint. If you're attacking the paint and you can force Missoula to play two bigs as opposed to like Horford and four wings or guard two or whatever, yeah. um, then all of a sudden it's not so hard to chase those guys off the line. Like, for example, Grant Williams, great shooter, good dribble relocator. But what, if you get to him, there's not a ton he can do in the way that Tatum, Brown, you know, Smart, et cetera, can do. He's not the playmaker, you know. That's there. If you can get, if you can force them to play Horford and Williams together, you're not running out at four, maybe five shooters in that sense. So if you can force the Celtics to have to adjust their lineup to have more capability to defend the paint on defense, then you are reducing the amount of shooting some that they're putting on the floor on the other end. So for me, it starts with attacking the paint, attacking the rim over and over and over and forcing Boston to deploy a bit less shooting than normally do on the floor. So the Hawks have to be assertive in that area for them to start to dictate some of the coach versus coach stuff. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack, you also want to avoid all of the sugar and the calories that come along with some of those snacks. You need to try the best tasting protein bar ever from Built Bar. You absolutely have to try this, especially if you're like me 
you're trying to make some healthier snack choices this year and also really like to value that quality taste that comes along with your snacks. Built Bars and Built Pops are both healthy and tasty. You'll be able to tell the difference really at all. And actually, they're good for you as well. If you're wondering what makes a Built Bar so good, start with the fact that they actually are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate on the outside. And there are a ton of flavors to choose from that you'll absolutely love. That includes peanut butter brownie. And my personal favorite, as always, cookies and cream. But there is a wide array of options for you at Built Bar. And I'm not sure how Built does what they do, actually. Built Bar have only have 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar, plus a whopping 17 grams of protein in each and every bar. Also, you don't have to wait to get them either. For a long time, I've been telling you to order your Built Bars at Built.com. You still can at this point. You can also pick up a box at Walmart or Sam's Club, or you can still order at Built.com like always. You can thank me later, and I really encourage you to check this out today. Built Bars available at Built.com, Walmart, Sam's Club, etc. Enjoy a Built Bar and check one out right now. Yeah, and I'm glad you said the word dictate because I was going to use a similar one because, you know, traditionally, this is very broad, but... If you're the seven seed, in which the Hawks are in this series, if you can start to dictate, that's when the that's when the favorite gets to be wobbly. They they don't want to have to change what they're doing. And this is a very Boston's pretty versatile compared to some teams. But you know that's that's one of, that's one of those like idioms that you always hear. Like the the number one seed shouldn't have to change, change what they're actually doing. They should be the ones dictating. If the Hawks can change that, that is a very nice thing to do. And it's it's kind of. Um, counterintuitive because if you look at like the like the on-off splits and that stuff, their actual best lineups have been with Robert Williams on the on the floor this year. And I kind of think in this series they want Robert Williams to play. And that's not because he's bad. He's a really good player. But I think the Hawks are probably better suited if Boston, to your point, is having to play him, especially having to play him with Al. That would be helpful. And they're still really good with that. It's like that lineup's a free pass for you. Like you still have a lot of issues against that lineup, especially scoring-wise, but offensively they're just not as good if they can if they have to play that way um or or also if if you're making them play white and smart together a lot because that because of defense those guys are awesome defenders but neither one of them is a hugely dynamic offensive player they're they're capable offensive players right. but if they're having to lean more into their defensive lineups they're not scoring as much whereas if you put those lineups out there if it's like you know one of the guards Tatum Brown another shooter and Horford that's when they're unguardable Virtually, you know what I mean. If they're playing their best offensive lineups, they're not really. But if you can score against them, that makes life easier for you. And also, to your point about attacking, I want to make sure I say this: the one thing that Boston does not do defensively this year is force turnovers. So the Hawks can be aggressive. The Hawks are really good taking care of the ball. Boston, I believe, is like bottom five or six in the league in turnover creation on defense. So like, it's not a free pass to be able to do whatever you want. But if you don't have to worry about getting picked off all the time, you know, Smart is obviously very opportunistic. There's other guys that can do it. But they, generally speaking, don't play a super aggressive ball-hawking scheme defensively. So you can be a little bit more, like, you know, downhill. I think – I'm sure Quinn has probably been screaming about going downhill for the last – I mean, today and tomorrow practice. I'm sure that's been a huge emphasis to you, everything you just said. Yeah, I mean, great points all around. Um you know, it's it's interesting to me. I had forgotten until I rewatched some of the games from this year that this season Celtics a lot a, a lot of ways are using Horford in the way they did Williams last year, like put him on the whoever spotting from the weak side corner, have him help. You know, from the weak side, make him low man, have him help over there. And I and I was like, wow, I don't I don't remember that there being so much of that. But they but they work really hard to keep both. Grant Williams, well, all of Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Al Horford, out of ball screens. And so they, they, they do that by parking on the weak side, whoever the, in that weak side corner. And that allows them to use White, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Brogdon to contain the ball and not get those bigs kind of into that vulnerable spot, right? Now, so I today I started playing with, okay, well – that's the, one of the biggest differences between Miami and Boston is in Miami, you can attack Hero. You can attack Struess. At this point, you can attack Lowry, et cetera. Which of those Boston defenders can you attack? For me, it starts with Jalen Brown. And I put this on Twitter, and I knew like Celtics fans would show up in my mentions and, and, and make, <laughs> make it as though I said something I didn't say. But what I'm saying is that Brown is probably the least capable at containing the ball, containing a good ball handler in front of him, as compared to the other guys, I'm not saying he's bad at it. He's not right. I mean, he's not strewn. It's it's the bar you have to clear. I mean, look 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 who you're comparing him to is the thing. Right. I'm sure I, I didn't see this, but I can already picture exactly what you meant versus what the response was. Yes, and it's like guys, Derek White, Marcus Smart, like these guys are awesome. It's not because 
brought us bad. It's just yeah. And, and the second one is is Brogdon. Now Brogdon's like technique and defensive skill is all great, but he's not as as quick and not as uh, you know mobile laterally. And so I'm not talking about go attack these two D minus defenders. I'm talking about C plus guys that Trake maybe can do something with. Jante can do something with Jalen if he gets the you know in the right spot, that sort of thing. In the middle of floor, Hunter can maybe do something with. These are you know B minus C plus guys as opposed to their A plus guys. And in a matchup like this, that's what you have to go probe, right? Is to go look for. Yeah. I don't want to call it a weak link, but the most vulnerable or, you know, the, the least of heat, you know, at that. And so the Hawks are, am I going to have to get into side and corner pick and roll, isolate over there, get to a guard and a wing typically is what's going to show up there. The big is in the weak side corner and have the big slip that to the rim and just absolutely hammer them with that. And if, if, if you can draw Jalen Brown into being on ball or Malcolm Brogdon into being on ball, then you've got, a little bit more space to work with to make that happen. So the Hawks are going to have to be super intentional about getting to the actions they want to run, not let Boston defense take them away from the first action they want to get to. And so a lot of it, so much of the series is about assertiveness and intentionality. And, you know, and the Celtics are great at trying to take your one or two kind of most preferred things away from you. The Hawks cannot let that happen. They've got to get to the first action they want in this series in a way that was not applicable I guess Miami, you know, and so they've got they they've got to got to make that happen. Uh, I like that you brought up the free throws. That to me, you know, I think I think Boston was I think twenty eighth in free throw attempts per game. Uh, I'm also still using per game sets sometimes, but, but they're they're but they're they're down there in, in <laughs> bottom five, right, yeah. right, free throw rate, all that stuff. And to me, that means you can play Jalen more than maybe otherwise. If you if you need really need more shooting on the floor, you can play AJ maybe some, you know, where against, you know, foul baiters like Jimmy and, you know, and those guys in Miami. And so there's an opportunity. I think Quinn has a little bit more freedom, I think, to kind of swing his rotation and his lineups in a, in a more versatile kind of set of ways and be more creative uh, with that. Um, but, you know, that'll it'll, it'll be fascinating. And then, you know, if, if the Hawks can neutralize the three-point differential the Celtics will get with their paint differential – then it comes down to the Celtics are really underrated in transition. And, you know, they don't, you know, they don't use turnovers to feed transition, but if they get a long rebound or you don't get back and get matched up, they kill you in transition. Uh, and, you know, and they got a decent volume of transition this year as well. On top of that, you have the transition. We talk about the screen navigation. This can be absolutely critical in the series. No team in the league produced more points by way of spot-up shooters in Boston. And so that's the ball movement, and that's the spacing. And so there's so many things and, you know, to, kind of, uh, to kind of get there. And, and I think Quinn is going to have to it's, – it's lineup combinations. There's, I think there's no way to really look for a formula that's going to work on both ends of the court apart from attack the heck out of the rim on offense, work, have athletic guys who can chase them off the three-point on defense, see how that goes, make that work, tweak it, you know, from there, and that's I mean, just it feels like eighty percent of the percent of the series comes down to comes down to who's going to force the hand of the other team first by uh, asserting their will in an area that's that's a primary area of value for them. Yeah, that makes sense, and I'm not going to keep you forever, but I do want to get to a couple more things. I um, this is not you and I are the sickos. We don't have to do this whole topic, but I, I do wonder especially because of what you were talking about on Twitter this week about how good Boston is as a switching team. And the Hawks have not always been great against switching teams. That's kind of been a weakness of theirs at times, relatively speaking, and and for Trey in particular. So I'm not trying to do the whole Trey, like what does Trey have to do thing? That's, that's not what we have to do here. But I, I do think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Trey because he's not shooting the ball well right now. And that's usually a way for to maybe beat some of that stuff. And um, you can't just – it's not like set up the pins and knock them down against Boston. They're going to have to be a little bit more versatile. Um, and I wonder what you see with that because, again, not to, not to be too plain about it, but um, when I hear great switching defense, uh, my alarm bells go off for this Hawks team in general over the last few years. It's not just because this year. like Just because Trey, for all of his strengths, that is not his best operation. And usually the Hawks offense 
goes as Trey goes. So like, what do they do to kind of combat that? Knowing that obviously Boston is set up beautifully personnel wise and also schematically to switch a lot. Yeah. With Boston being in my mind, the best switching defense in the league, it's hard to get a lot out of your pick and roll against that. It's really, really hard. Um, Perhaps if you can catch them not at their best, you can slip your big and kind of start to generate some opportunity there. Um, if they are loading up early to, to prepare for a switch, cut it, cutters can have an impact there. Um, and, and, and But from there, it's really going to be buying into move the ball, move the ball again, move the ball again, trust each other in doing that. And if the Hawks, you know, I know what you're, what you caused me to have flashbacks about when you said the Hawks versus good switching defenses, pulling the ball out, trying to find one mismatch. Uh, oh, there's seven seconds on the shot clock, and then he started to try to attack this mismatch. You know, exactly. over and over, and it's like it's like a horrible experience as a Hawks fan <laughs> to watch that process play out. And 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 for the last two two years, was, it, there has been way too much of that. And so Quinn has got to basically be one to kind of throw a fit <laughs> if the Hawks are kind of being forced. And, and I don't, I don't want to say that as though all oh, the Hawks are just being – the Celtics will drive you into that mode if, if you are not willing to kind of fight through what they can do to you when they're asserting their uh, will on defense. So um, for me, you know, Jalen and Okongwu are – like really good connectors on offense in a way that you know, Clint is not. Jalen's a natural passer. John has improved so much as a passer, but still Jalen, his ability to to handle the ball in the open floor, push the pace, and Yaka's ability to kind of run and handle it for a center as well. And so, you know, if, if the Hawks are finding more opportunity through having lineups with a, a greater number of connectors on the floor, then Quinn may just have to roll with that, you know, for a while. Now Clint can have a huge impact putting pressure on the rim. So you have to kind of see which way things goes, you know, which way uh, things will go. But I mean, last year, you know, like the Hawks had nowhere to turn. Like Jalen was not a thing then. AJ didn't exist. Bay was on this team. You know, Bobby was was dragging his leg. He had one leg, you know. And so – and so it's it's interesting to me that you have Quinn, who to me is one of the I'll just say better coaches in the league. I don't have to give you a number or whatever. One of the better coaches in the league, fully healthy roster, kind of a, a lot of versatility in which way he can go with his lineups. And still, like Quinn's going to have to be for the Hawks to have actually a shot to kind of get this to a game six and maybe you know force it to a game seven. Quinn's going to have to be perfect. Trey's going to have to be almost perfect. The Hawks secondary players are going to have to be, you know, mistake free. As a team, they're going to have to be invested every single possession working on. I mean, they can't take a single possession off on. I'm not saying it's realistic to expect a team to kind of give a plus effort every single possession every game across a seven game series. I know some fans think that's possible. These are human beings that have, you know, physical limitations, even though they're athletes. But that's what it's going to take, you know, for them to kind of kind of force this. So if the Hawks get allow the Celtics to be the aggressor and the more assertive team, and they end up attacking this much as one-on-one late in the shot clock, they're dead. Yeah, no, I, and, you know, much has been made and probably will be made again of what the Hawks devolve into late in games sometimes and the frustrations of that offense that has not worked repeatedly and they do it anyway. And, you know, part of that is the NBA and the way it works, that almost every team gets into that at some point. But the Hawks do it, I think, more often and worse than other teams have, at least in recent days and weeks and months. But, uh, and, you know, one of the things that I think people noticed about the Miami game was that they never, by, by the time it got late enough where the Hawks often devolve, they were up by 10, 11 points. It, it didn't really get tight. And we laughed about it on, on the ATL 29 about how the, a couple of those awful turnovers at the very end of the game that fortunately didn't matter. But, that's just a, one of those reminders that, that you get about this Hawks team late, late, late execution. And they can't afford, I mean, that's, that's a very obvious point again, but they can't afford as the underdog in a series. If they're, if they have a five point lead late in one of these games, they can't give it away or you're just dead. Like if you've, if you, if you play 43, 44 minutes, you earn a five, six point lead. I guess a team that everyone kind of agrees is better than you. 
you have to, you have to steal it. You, you can't, there's no wiggle room there. Like you're, if you're playing a, a like, a like opponent or someone that's worse than you, you know, you can afford to play around a little bit. You don't want to, but you can more. If you're the underdog, you have to capitalize on those situations. And I think, you know, for better or worse, a lot of focus will be on Trey. I, you know, I try not to just, you know, every time they play well, it's Trey. Every time they, every time, every time they don't play well, it's Trey the other way. It's not always that. But coming off the Miami series last year when he was not alone, but he was he was really bad, and everybody kind of agrees on that. I, I don't, you, you say it has to be perfect. Like, I can't see a scenario where the Hawks win this series and Trey is not great. I don't that that seems very simplistic and it's not like me or you like we don't like to do like lean on that kind of narrative but I mean am I, am I wrong can you see a scenario where the Hawks win the series and Trey is not awesome because I, no, I mean well for me I agree with you but what does being great mean it might mean giving True. the ball up right yeah. it might you know it might be being selfless and and and, and let, allowing someone else who has the advantage because of the attention that he's drawing and things like that so I don't want to be locked into it's got to be like 30 and 12. No, and and know, it doesn't. I mean, and, and right. I think people that know us know that we're not, that's not what we're saying. I'm sure right. that whatever his numbers are will be what people focus on. But I'm with you. He, he, he has played, and I've tried to make sure I praise these games where he'll have, he'll have 21 points and he'll play an A plus game Absolutely. because he's in control of things. And the passing is the, I mean, he's obviously a fantastic passer, but trying to limit turnovers. I think Trey has done a generally better job defensively this year. Um, he's not great. He's never going to be great. But, like, I, th- I do think that in this setting, he knows he can't be awful. I think he knows that deep down he'll give the effort required to be competitive. And that's kind of yeah. all you need to do. But, I mean, and again, I don't mean to boil it down to once because it's not just that. I mean, he, he could be great and they could lose, too. It's not like he doesn't control the series by, by himself. But – I mean, there's pressure on him. There's pressure on all these guys to be really yeah. good in the series. I mean, Murray, we haven't even mentioned DeJounte much at all. Right. And he, he's the guy they brought in for this particular situation. I mean, he's the guy that they brought in in response to what happened last year. And he he did his part against Miami. It's a one game. He wasn't perfect in that game, but he made a couple of plays in a way that they didn't have anybody to do last year. And that's that's the theory now. Like, he's maybe he has, he has a game or two in the series where he goes out and has 28 and just kind of just makes those little things. So – we could talk for three hours, but I, I wanted to make sure we got to Trey because, like, you know, yeah. if people are going to ask that question no matter what happens, like, especially with all the trade stuff that we're not going to talk about today or ever, hopefully. Um, but, you know, it's just I, I can already see the narrative coming if they lose and he doesn't have 35. It's going to be, well, what's wrong with Trey Young? And then, we don't have to do that. I, yeah. But he, he is so important. I think, and I think he, he's got to know that. They all know, yeah. that, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the last thing for me, and this uh, kind of maybe starts with Trey a little bit, is, uh, in the season series, Boston was great at trapping Trey in the paint, right? So they would use two things. One is away action or strong action where you have a guy in the corner lifting across two screens and having someone cut to the rim and trapping him low. Or a simple pin down and curling around the pin down, a guy curling to the middle of the paint, trapping Trey in the middle. Hawks have to keep him out of that situation. And so that rolls over to the last point I think it has to be made here is on defense to switch or not to switch for the Hawks, right? We know what the Celtics are going to do, right? That's their bread and butter. That's their staple. For me, the Hawks or any team can't deal with the volume of screens the Celtics use without switching for at least part of the game. If you're going to have your guys chase over a million screens in a game, they're going to be exhausted. They're going to, you know, uh, not have the energy to kind of, you know, last four minutes of each quarter or whatever. <laughs> and so I think Quinn's going to have to mix up some of that. Now, typically, like I noticed, like Aaron played uh, in the middle game of the three and they had him not switching. They had Trey not switching and everybody else switching, which is kind of, you know, which we've seen from the Hawks, right? And so it's going to be fascinating to me if, in game one to see, do they come out, chasing over screens early and then converting into a switching defense, maybe when a Kogu comes on or James on or whatever that is. And what is that mix? Like I would be surprised if it's all switching from the very, very beginning. Um, but I think that there's going to have to be some probably pretty equal balance of both. And that's probably dictated to a degree, which lineup does Boston have on the court right now? How many ball handlers and creators do they have on? If it's all of their best ones, we got to switch. If it's maybe a, a kind of a partial second unit, maybe we can chase over in this case and, and kind of mix that up. So keeping Trey out of the middle on defense, he has, he has no shot against these big Celtics 
guards and wings in that situation. And the secondarily is mixing up that chasing over versus switching and finding the right situation, line of combinations, matchups to be in one or the other. That's where in my mind, like I, I, my comment was Trey has to be almost perfect for the Hawks to like truly threaten <laughs> to win the series. Quinn has to be perfect to me and all yeah. I, I can't lose two or three minutes slow on an adjustment here and there and stuff like that. I, Quinn knows, I mean, the Celtics do the same thing all the time. They don't really have wrinkles. They just kill you with perfection, like perfect execution, like all the time for the most part. So I think Quinn knows to knows what to expect, but it's like, okay, when, when is it best for us to switch? When is it best for us to chase over? He's going to have to be on it and, and, and really in real time swinging one direction or the other at just the right time for the Hawks to have their best chance on defense. Right. And, and you can't afford to fool around. You know, sometimes the favorite in the series in particular will fool around early in the series, especially the first round, and not make their adjustments that they probably should make because they, they don't want to rock the boat or anything yet. They're just kind of just like, all right, we're going to do what we do. If you're the seven seed, you better be adaptive. And that was, I think, one of the real criticisms, and some of them were not real about Nate, was that he, he was not adaptive. Nate was very rigid, and that was not always the best approach. I, I think Quinn will see, but you, they need to be adaptive in this series. They need to be willing to do things differently. Um, you know, It's not going to be as simple as switch with a Kongwu and not with Clint, but right. some of that. I mean, there'll be a little bit of that. And I think you you joked about it earlier. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or on Slack about how people are talking about Clint like, like, he's, like he's Roy Hibbert now. Like, <laughs> like Clint can move. I mean, I think that he had a couple of bad moments in, the, in Boston games this year that people have remembered those because, you know, but he's not like this. He's not a exceedingly plotting. He looks slow compared to Onyeka, but he's a really good – he's actually a good athlete for a center. Clint still moves well. Um, but you know, do you try to pair Clint and Robert Williams up a little bit more, like intentionally? And try to play a Congo a little bit more against against the Horford center lineups or whatever you want to. And there's there's little things that they can be looking at all the way through. I'm glad you made that point about Trey and his defensive deployment. But like you know, just have I'm sure they'll have a plan coming in, and I'm also sure that they're going to have to tweak it. N- nothing nothing will be unchanged between even in game one. I mean, they might come out and be like, all right, this isn't going to work, and they got to pull the plug on something in the second quarter of game yeah. one. We'll see. But I I just feel like. There is a confidence level with Quinn, and it's it's not his staff yet. We all know that, but like they they're gonna have to, and that's you were the one I think almost more than everybody pointing this out, like how big it is to not have to play on Friday and then play on Sunday. Part of that's rest, but part of that is having two practices. They had two full practices before they go to Boston. That matters. Does it matter? Does it change the whole series? Maybe not. But like they actually could do some install the last two days in a way that they couldn't have if they had been playing on Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, and, and I, I do think the Clint minutes and Yucca minutes will be one of the critical things, right? Because Horford at the five, Boston's five out is lethal. Yeah. Williams, Robert Williams at the five, the five out is still good, but it's not the same thing. And that's because where... they, they only have four shooters all of a sudden. I mean, it's, it's just not, right. I mean, and so Williams is also drop a little bit more, right? So, yeah. So and that, that, that doesn't mean Clint should never be on with Al. You know, that doesn't no. mean that, right? But I, I think that Al with their best shooters, you know, then that's probably a little bit, you know, too much. So there's there's so much of that. I, I'm, 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 you know, I guess I, I know we we could go on forever, but I'm excited for this series. <laughs> I'm excited for this series. Yeah. I, think, I think watching Quinn prepare this team, seeing the team, I think, come out their best game of the whole season against Miami – um, and entering here, and I, I think it's fun in a way that the Hawks are kind of underrated coming in this series. Again, Celtics are the obvious favorite in this series, but I, I you know, when the ESPN like the eighty-five predictions they have every series, whatever, I'm going to guess the average prediction is going to be like a five, uh, Celtics to five, Celtics to five, Celtics to five, would be like eighty percent of the way that goes. And, and I, I, I understand that. I'm not going to sit here and criticize that. I, I think the Hawks are going to push them more than people expect. And with maybe a little luck, uh, you know, uh, make or miss league fourth quarter kind of situation. Who knows? Maybe they can get this, you know, even deeper than, deeper than, than anyone uh, thinks they can. I think it's going to be a yeah, fun well, series. I can't wait. Agreed. I was going to ask you that at the end, and, we, we, and you just took it there. That's, that's perfect. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, do they probably need a little bit of good fortune to win the series? Yeah, of course they do. I, I think that if – if Boston shoots like they did in the first two games in the regular of the series, series they're going to lose. I mean, if you give up 23s, you're not going to win. M- maybe you will every once in a while, but usually you're not going to win if the team makes 23s against you. It's kind of like the uh, Tyler invoked the 
then he should he he should, he shall be not be named reference to LeBron and the Cavs when they just could not stop them from making threes in those series <laughs> back in the day. Um, hopefully it's not that, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by it. Um, in a in a weird way, and I you know this is a different topic for a different day, but like I'm more interested and more fascinated by the matchup stuff and the schematic stuff in this series than I would have been against Milwaukee, and not not in a bad way, but like that was a possibility too. They could, they could have been playing Milwaukee, and I I think just I'm. Interested to see how everybody plays against Boston. I think the Hawks in their new setup, in particular with this with this new bench that they have, they're more athletic, like we said. They match up better against Boston than they probably would have even three months ago with the way Jalen's playing with, with Sadiq and all that. So um, I, I'll, pro- I'll probably try to beg you to come on later on in the series, talk about the adjustments that I for yeah. sure had not seen and that you have seen at that point. Um, but yeah, I'm excited too. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, Glenn, I will not take up any more of your time. Anything else that you'd like to plug, feel free. I'm sure there's ATL and 29 content either coming or has already happened. What's going on in your life? Yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna put all of my uh, predictions out on, I guess it'll be tomorrow night, Friday night, because uh, games start Saturday. So on this one, I, th- I think I think the most likely outcome is Celtics and six. I'd love to see it get to seven and, and just have a lot of fun, you know, watching that. Um, I think that's, so I'll go on record with this series first here. But yeah, ATL twenty nine. You know, Kevin and I are recording tonight as well. You know, it's just I get to be Brad Rowland for a minute and try to make sure I don't just have the same conversation all over again. Uh, this, is my, this is my third one of these two. I'm trying to avoid I, I know. Tyler's conversations. And I know. I, I'm feeling. I'm feeling like what you deal with like every day. You know, in this situation. <laughs> so, uh, but a huge appreciation for you. I, I already did anyway. But ATL twenty nine, Peace Tree Hoops uh, at Willis underscore Glenn. Uh, if you kind of find all my stuff there. I, I intend to have fun on Twitter through the series. I, I know that if things go poorly, that all of Hawk's Twitter may not follow me down the fun path in some cases. <laughs> but, That's true. But, That's true. but we're going to try to keep it uh, constructive and light and analytical uh, and, and have observations and stuff like that. Is The Hawks have an opportunity to come in and I think show that they're a little better right now from this point where they are than people think. And even if that shows up, and they still lose a six, I still think that that's something that uh, Hawks fans can enjoy. I totally agree. And uh, I have a feeling we might have a couple of new listeners this time of year. So I will just say I wholly recommend following Glenn on Twitter and other places. Glenn is the best X's and O's person around uh, at a bare minimum on the Hawks that I have seen anywhere, uh, at least in the public space. Um, so check out Glenn's work. Uh, always gracious enough to give me some time on this show as well. And I'm sure we'll be talking offline in the middle of these games as uh, we try to gather our, our observations and what's going on. But uh, yeah, follow Glenn, check out the podcast, even with Kevin Chenard, my arch enemy over there. Uh, please follow this podcast. If you're, again, if you're a new listener, it'd be great if you subscribed to the show. Uh, that'd be awesome across platforms, ratings, reviews, encouraged. Follow Glenn on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Enjoy the series. This is something crazy. This will be my last podcast until game one. And we'll be back after the game. It's an afternoon game on Saturday, so it'll be a little bit of an interesting uh, turnaround. But uh, all eyes at 3.30 in Boston on Saturday. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you all next time.